The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. 27 million people have already cast their ballot in the midterm elections. If we want to ensure the survival of our republic, we have to walk away from politics as usual. That was the finest Washington, D.C. career politician non-answer I've ever heard. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. Adrian's opponent was at the cop was at the Capitol on January 6th. I mean, he might not have been the guy with the Viking helmet, but he was there. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Five days to the elections. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as we zero in on a bellwether in the Hudson Valley, New York, that we'll all be watching next Tuesday night with both candidates on board. Congressman Pat Ryan, who won a special election after the Supreme Court ruled on Roe v. Wade, now in a redrawn district facing Republican Colin Schmidt. We talk issues with both the D and the R back-to-back interviews. New polling shows Republicans could flip a Senate seat in New Hampshire. Don Baldock debated Senator Maggie Hassan last night. We're going to talk about it with Chris Galdieri, professor of politics at St. Anselm College in New Hampshire. They ran the numbers and hosted the debate. And as Barack Obama makes his way to Arizona now, on behalf of Democrats, we'll have analysis from our signature panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are with us for the hour. Pat Ryan made a big splash when he won a special election in New York, Hudson Valley, because it was right after the Supreme Court ruling on Roe. This is back in August. He's now in a redrawn 18th district where he's facing Republican Colin Schmidt. And he joins us now on Bloomberg as we welcome both candidates back to back on the program, starting with Congressman Ryan. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Well, they're calling your race a bellwether for the nation, that that you're the canary in the political coal mine. Is that how you see it? Uh, You know, I am extremely focused here on the ground across the three counties I'm hoping to continue to represent. So I I haven't really been following some of the national stuff, but certainly our race in in August, our special election, was a national referendum on standing up for democracy, reproductive rights, fighting for economic relief. And uh, we surprised a lot of, uh, you know, the the, the experts and pundits in winning that race. And I I feel good that that momentum is certainly building for us even more. Well, it was closely watched, of course, because, you know, this was right after the SCOTUS ruling. Your primary win was given a big boost by the fallout of of Roe v. Wade. That special happened in August, Congressman. Pollsters say the issue is running now far behind things like the economy and crime. Will it help decide this race again for you? Unequivocally, it is one of the, it's not the only issue, of course, but it is one of the most salient issues that people are rightly outraged that fellow Americans' fundamental rights and freedoms were ripped away. And we've seen the the far right double down and actually call for a nationwide abortion ban uh, even in the case of rape and incest and threats to the life of a mother, my opponent is, is one of those extreme folks. So standing up for that right and other rights and delivering economic relief, those are the two main thrusts of our campaign. 
Uh, and, and I think that really meets the moment of where people's concerns are. Well, you probably saw this new Wall Street Journal poll out today getting a lot of talk because it shows a big swing in sentiment among so-called suburban white women, uh, half of whom now think the Republican Party, as I read, has a better economic plan to make life easier for people like them. And that's up from the same poll in August, found only 35 percent at that point favored Republicans approach. With everything you just said, can you win without suburban women? Well, I think the important caveat here is no offense to the pollsters, but they're just always wrong. I mean, is that true? The, I mean, it certainly is in my case. No poll before our special election in August had me winning that race. There were dozens of them. They all said we're going to lose. Every mm-hmm. single one of them was wrong. And I just think that uh, we can't overread uh, the, the polls. I, I, of course, uh, folks are focused on the economy. They were focused on it in our August special election. They're continuing to focus on it. We saw overwhelming support across all political parties, women and men, uh, in all generations, because we stood up in a positive, constructive way and said, we're going to deliver relief. Uh, you know, For example, I cut our county gas tax in half. I cut our property taxes the lowest level in 40 years. We provided millions in small business relief. That matters. That connects. That actually helps people. Republicans right now, certainly at the national level especially, Ask them what their actual plan is to address rising costs. And all the best you're going to hear is a, a tax cut for the ultra wealthy, which is not what the country needs right now. President Biden would have won this new district by nine points in 2020, which is even more favorable for you than the 19th district that you won in the special. We saw the president make a visit to Poughkeepsie this month. You were at his side. A lot has happened, though, since 2020. Have the politics of the last two years change the views of people in places like Orange or Dutchess County? What do they tell you? Yeah, an awful lot has happened, that's for sure. And I think everybody feels that we we are more politically divided uh, and that there's less and less trust in government to actually deliver. Uh, I was a local elected official before serving in Congress now, and my main focus was how do we deliver tangible help to people in mental health and in infrastructure and in, in, uh, environmental protection in, in order to rebuild trust? And so when you have the president of the United States show up to the Hudson Valley, the first time a president's been here in decades, and and announce a $20 billion commitment to bring back quantum computing and semi-computing jobs Mm -hmm. back to where IBM was the the thriving heart of our economy, that is a huge deal to tangibly deliver and help both immediately and over the next 10 to 20 years. That's what we've been been doing uh, across the board in addition to lowering costs, lowering prescription drug costs, capping insulin costs. I mean, again, I think actions speak louder than words in terms of uh, how hard Democrats have been fighting to deliver that well, relief. And actions include showing up in person. You know, the, you hear this, uh, this narrative around the country that a lot of Democratic candidates don't want to appear with President Biden, that he hasn't been at a lot of, uh, you know, in a lot of bellwether states where we have closely contested races. But you stood with him in Poughkeepsie. Does that help your campaign? I was proud to welcome the president. One, I, I, I respect him personally, and I also respect the office of the presidency, uh, regardless of, of who's in it. And two, he was here to deliver for the community, which is our job. <laughs> so when anybody comes and wants to deliver and help the community that I represent, I'm going to proudly stand with them uh, and do everything I can to, to build on that. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know why others... Uh, sort of shy away. I, I think that um, sometimes we get lost in the punditry and the mm. politics. At the end of the day, if you're going to deliver help, um, you are you are welcome with open arms here in our community because mm. we need help. 
president issued a pretty stark warning last night to voters, uh, and it's not the first time. He says democracy is on the ballot. Is that what you're actually hearing, Congressman, from voters in the midst of this time of inflation, this time of war? And I ask you that because you seem to sort of veer away from the the national narratives and speak about local issues in our conversation so far. Well, we have to do both. I mean, I, I graduated from West Point. I served 27 months in combat. I took an oath to support and defend our Constitution from enemies, foreign and domestic. And to to grapple personally with the fact that some of the gravest threats to our Constitution are right here in America from election deniers, from people who stormed our Capitol, that has to be a bright red line. And I don't care who you are, what party you're from, what state you're from, if you won't uphold that core tenet of our democracy of free and fair elections, you need to be held accountable to the fullest extent. And um, I'm proud that the president is calling that out. And I do hear, to your question, I hear from a lot of people. And and, uh, polls nationally have shown threats to democracy are now at or near the top of people's concerns consistently for for weeks and months. And, you know, I'm I'm running in great part because I'm worried. And we have to have people who, who believe in it and want to fight to make it better. Been a lot of talk about political violence, uh, certainly since the attack on Paul Pelosi. But as you know, it goes back much further than that, as we consider the attack on Steve Scalise uh, and many others over the past couple of years. Gabby Giffords, this goes back years and years. Congressman, I, I wonder, how do you consider your own safety right now? Have you been enduring threats on the campaign trail? And, and do you think lawmakers should have their own security details? Uh, I mean, number one, it's just sad that we have to even have these conversations. And it reflects the, the increasingly divisive rhetoric, which is all for personal political gain by selfish people. <laughs> and that, that outrages me. Uh, and I had to have a conversation with my wife about, we have two young kids for the first time, have a conversation about securing our home, going back to what I learned as an army officer of, you know, a, a safety, a security plan to, to defend a position, which is my own home and my own community where I grew up. So we've got to, we've got to do better than this. Um, and, and certainly upping security is, is a, a small part of it, but it's so much deeper than that. And uh, I just think we have to remind people that we got to remind people of our better angels, as uh, President Lincoln so famously said. Hmm. Congressman Pat Ryan, I appreciate your spending some time with us on a busy day on the trail. And thank you for your service. Oh, thank you for having me. And um, I really enjoyed the time. Thanks. We turn now to Congressman Ryan's opponent, Colin Schmidt, is a Republican member of the New York Assembly, serves in the Army National Guard, and he joins our conversation now. Mr. Schmidt, welcome to Bloomberg. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Well, as I discussed with Congressman uh, Pat Ryan, the nation is watching your race as a bit of a microcosm here, especially after the special that, that he won in the district next door in August. That That was framed as a classic battle of issues, as opposed to a lot of the cultural stuff that's been going on in this country, in this case, inflation versus abortion. Is this race you're in now any different? This uh, this race in November is going to be starkly different than that special election, a different time period where it's occurring, but uh, nearly a completely different district. And the issues that are playing out here are the economy and crime. That is the, the main two issues. Uh, they're, they're almost tied in importance to the voters when we hear about it. Crime, economy, economy, crime, over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the issues that are impacting people on their day-to-day lives. And it's nearly the unanimous uh, level that we hear of, of concern are on those two issues, that doors, 
on phone calls, at events. We've done over 250-something thousand voter contacts now since June, and the overwhelming responses continue to be on those issues. So let's ask you about inflation, uh, which is important to us and something we talk about a lot here. Your opponent stood with President Biden in Poughkeepsie this month to tout this new IBM investment to talk about the Inflation Reduction Act, lowering drug prices. The president says that, that if Republicans take the House, they'll repeal that law. Is he right? Yeah, the president uh, decided to come here to tout the uh, Inflation Act that they passed after inflation hit uh, another record high. And, you know, my opponent has not offered a solution other than to keep spending money, keep spending federal money, which has gotten us here in the first place. So the biggest issue when it comes to this inflation crisis, which we have signed on at the Commitment to America with the new House Republican majority, is to get the out-of-control spending. we gotta, we got to get that in control. Over t- almost $10 trillion in the last two years under the Biden administration, House Democrats, the main fueler of this inflationary crisis. We now see it rippling with the interest rates continuing to, to increase just this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pricing people out of homes. It's driving rents through the roof. The ripple effects of this continue to be substantial, continue to touch every resident of this district. And the president, everything he's done has exasperated it. Everything Pat Ryan has done has exasperated it. And we want to get it under control when we take over the well, majority. You probably saw this new Wall Street Journal poll out today. It's not on your race. It's a national poll showing sentiment among, uh, sentiment among suburban white women uh, turning more Republican. Half of suburban white women now tell this poll that the Republican Party has a better economic plan to make life easier for them. And if that's up from 35 percent just in August, you're the one talking with voters uh, out on the trail here. Is inflation more important to, to suburban white women than the right of choice? I'd say the biggest issue that we hear, particularly from, from families and from moms, is the economic impacts that they are facing. We have the, the cost of gas, the cost of food in particular is, is really unsustainable for many, many families. It, it's, we, we have had reached out to my office, numerous people already, Going back to the, the fuel costs, the energy costs, the home heating fuel, that they're not even able to fully fill their tank. Um, or that if they do, they're, they can't afford the food. And now they're making a choice. Do we eat or do we keep ourselves warm and our families warm? That's not a Republican or Democrat issue. If yeah. you're a mother, if, if, if you're a father and you're being faced with, are we going to be warmer or, or a cold or hungry or full? That, that transcends, I think, um, yeah, any kind of general political leaning. This, that's a basic instinct to provide for your family and, and for yourself. So, so you don't see abortion as a, as a viable issue in this campaign? This issue uh, is, is about the economy and then the safety issues of crime and support for law enforcement. Well, I want to ask that you, speaking of, of safety, and I asked uh, Congressman Ryan about this. The president issued a stark warning to voters last night. He says democracy is on the ballot. He pointed to political violence, the attack against Paul Pelosi. Of course, we've talked about the attack against Steve Scalise and uh, what happened on January 6th. The nation's uh, head is spinning when it comes to this stuff. Do you believe uh, that lawmakers should have more security? Do you find yourself or your family under threat as someone who's running for public office? I think that uh, obviously political violence of any type against anyone is completely unacceptable. 
uh, and must be condemned in the strongest terms. And we need to ensure that the right uh, measures of security are available uh, for for anyone um, you know who's serving the public. You know, particularly what we see here in the Hudson Valley is a true public safety concern uh, globally. Where just a few weeks ago in this congressional district, we had five shootings in a single weekend, including a a college father who was visiting for a family weekend at a college, shot mm-hmm. getting coffee in his hotel and killed. Uh, we have so many commuters in this district, particularly going to New York City, uh, men and women who reach out to me that they're scared to go to work. We have not heard, and I think this is the, the voters have not heard, the public has not heard from our governor, from the president, from officials saying, we want to make things safer for you. We want to hire more police. We want to make sure... Well, you have heard the president say that, though, right? He says to fund the police. He said that in his State of the Union address. Um, But it's also been reported, uh, and I'd love for you to have an opportunity to tell our listeners, it's it's been reported that you rallied with uh, folks who went to the Capitol on January 6th ahead of their trip to D.C. Did you have any sense of what was going to happen that day? Do you regret your association with them? This is a uh, debunked lie that's continued to be spewed by the Democrat National Committee and my opponent, Pat Ryan. On January 6th, I was invited, as I've been many times, to address Orange County Right to Life, a faith-based organization. It's all volunteers, senior citizens, local families. You address them fairly frequently. They asked me on my inauguration day, Mm -hmm. the day that I was being sworn in, to address issues that were coming up on the first day of legislative session in Albany. Nobody in that group had anything to do with any uh, violence or anything that happened that day at all, and they continued to be smeared. Uh, they were not at the Capitol. They had nothing to do with anything like that. They this is why we asked. smeared, and our opponent deserve. Uh, these people deserve an apology from my opponent, and anyone who did do anything wrong, which yeah. has no affiliation with these individuals, must be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Assemblyman Colin Schmidt, he's the Republican candidate in New York's 18th district. Thank you for being with us on Bloomberg. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And we assemble our panel now, as always. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano make our signature panel Bloomberg Politics contributors who somehow bring sense to all of this every day. It's great to have you both here. I thought it was important to have both candidates, you know, not trying to gin up a debate here, but have two adjacent interviews talking essentially along the same lines. I really tried to sort of frame the questioning of for, for one interview the same as the next here and talk about issues because Jeannie in New York and you live in New York, that's what that special election was uh, was kind of heralded for, the fact that it was about policy, that it was about issues more than cultural differences. Do you feel like that's the same this time around? Well, you're so right there. Everybody is watching this race to see if it is, as you mentioned, a microcosm or a bellwether as to what's to come across the rest of the nation. And, you know, it's it's very close to where I live and work. And it is one that, you know, we really don't have a very good sense where to go, where it's going to go. We don't have enough polling directly of the district. And so we rely on these national polls. But of course, these races are choices between two candidates. And that's why it's so great to hear from both of them. You know, Pat Ryan is a very, very um, charismatic and successful. And, you know, he really shocked the nation with his race for the 19th. Mm -hmm. And then to have to turn around a few few months later and run again against a formidable component in, in Colin Schmidt, who's known 
in the district. So it's going to be a close race. And I think the real question is what issues win the day here? Yeah, but, right. you know, they are both talking about, well, Ryan's talking more about abortion than Schmidt, but they're both focused on the economy. I hear it. And of course, Ryan has outraged Schmidt 3.4 million about to 1.8 million. So he's got a cash advantage for sure. Rick, you look at this district, this 18th district, and uh, the 538 average of polls has Pat Ryan winning uh, slightly favored, 69 out of 100 of the odds they peg, 32 out of 100 for Schmidt. Did the issues that will drive the decisions bubble up there? I mean, is this really, you don't want to oversimplify this too much. Like Pat Ryan said, there's room for more than one issue in a campaign. But a lot of folks have framed this as inflation versus abortion. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're talking about is where the drivers of the issues, right? There are a lot of issues that are going to cut in these campaigns. What's driving the vote? And I thought the point you made about suburban white women, uh, you know, flipping from August, you know, at around the time Pat Ryan was elected, were plus plus 12 for Democrats, you know, to being now plus 15 for GOP. That is a really big move. And that's all about the economy and inflation. Well, Jeannie, you start talking about, I mean, you've made the point you live there. Do you buy those numbers? It was a little bit of a weird sample. I want to be clear in that Wall Street Journal poll. It was a small sample, had a big margin of error. To see a move that big among a group that may well decide the balance of power here in Washington, never mind the winner of this particular race, is significant. It's significant, but I was going to go right there. We're talking about a very small subsample, you know, 150 voters with a margin of error plus or minus 8%. That's enormous when you're talking these polls. Anytime they try to dig down like this, it's very tough to get a good read. I think the most we could say is there has been movement amongst this group, just like the rest of the country, increasing focus on cost of living inflation as the numbers get worse, quite Mm -hmm. frankly. So that's real. The sleeper issue here is the one that that Schmidt mentioned, it is crime. I'm telling you, living in New York, that is what you hear about more often than not. Democrats winning on abortion. It's about Republicans winning on the economy. But it's the crime, and Democrats are trying to make a move on that. And the question is, too little, too late. It's unclear. But New Yorkers are very concerned about the rate of crime, even if the numbers don't support it. They're feeling that way, and Republicans are talking about it. Pat Ryan uh, is a combat veteran, as you know, from the war in Iraq, Rick. Uh, and, in fact, Colin Schmidt is is uh, is actively serving uh, I don't know, he shouldn't use the word actively, but serving in the Army National Guard. And, you know, he's doing his weekend and doing his duty as well. And we thank him for his service. I just wonder if that part of the story, seeing uh, a congressman like Pat Ryan with a combat veteran background, you know, part of a growing class, actually, of veterans who are who are coming back to serve in the House is meaningful to voters in New York or if that's something that kind of goes right by. You know, look, I think <clears throat> having a, uh, a commitment to your country and serving um, in the military, whether it's in the reserves or active duty, is a, a strong bond with your community, right? It's your willingness to sacrifice a career, a family, um, uh, education in order to do that. And so as a baseline, I think it's great. As a differentiator between two candidates, both mm-hmm. of them are in the service, I don't think it makes any difference. I did think in your interview, Pat Ryan did a very nice job of weaving that into his narrative about, you know, having an oath of office. And uh, and so uh, it just my own observation is he's he's playing that up more than, than Colin mm-hmm. Schmidt did in your interview. Does it resonate? In Hudson Valley, New York, Jeannie? 
It does. And of course, West Point is on the Hudson River. That's Recommend right. Everybody. It's in their district. It's That's in very their important. Di- it's in the district. Beautiful place to visit. Absolutely amazing school. No, you know, oh, no question. But yeah, it resonates there because you've got a lot of people who live and work and have family connections to West Point and yeah. other military uh, affiliations in this area. So I think it does. Uh, it does. Ref, ref, you know, does resonate in that way. Great talk with Rick and Jeannie. They're here all hour, of course, our signature panel on the fastest hour in politics. Coming up, we turn to New Hampshire. Quite a debate last night. Senator Maggie Hassan fighting for her political life against Don Baldock. And there are some incredible polling numbers. You don't believe them when you first read them. This race is changing as we speak. We're going to go to St. Anselm College and talk to an expert in Chris Galdieri coming up. And we'll reassemble our panel right here on Bloomberg Sound On. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. The situation we were talking about nationally uh, over the past several days, Republican momentum in polls, is the case apparently as well in New Hampshire. Granite State, not an exception. As we see in new numbers from St. Anselm College, the survey center out with just a remarkable set of numbers uh, yesterday showing that Don Baldick now leads the incumbent, Maggie Hassan, the Democrat, 48 to 47% as Hassan's favorability drops and Baldux improves. This goes on as you look down ballot, and it was the backdrop for a debate last night at St. Anselm, the final debate televised between the incumbent and her Republican challenger. Here's Senator Maggie Hassan. Last August saying he stood by that letter, saying it was stolen, and he wasn't switching horses, baby. That was, I think, the exact Quote. He then has begun to cast doubt on the 2022 elections, now th- saying that there will be ballot dumps in the middle of the night and referencing busloads of unqualified, ineligible voters coming to our polls. Maggie Hassan going after Don Baldock for his history as an election denier. But of course, that's something. Remember, it's like the day after the primary. He went on Fox News and said, no, I looked into it. Joe Biden won the election. Then it kind of went back around a few more times. He was asked about it last night. Was the election stolen or not? And why does your answer keep changing? Well, it doesn't keep changing, right? I have been consistent about it up to the point. You just, you just gave a accurate analysis. And I have said on 14 September, it was not stolen. That's it. I'm not discussing it anymore. Okay, then. Christopher Galdieri joins us. He's been in the middle of this as a professor of politics at the aforementioned St. Anselm College in New Hampshire. And it's great to have you here, uh, Chris. It's been a while. Welcome to Bloomberg Radio. You show as well uh, that Caroline Levitt, Republican challenger, pulling ahead of Representative Chris Pappas. What's going on in New Hampshire? Um, I think a lot of what's going on is that Republican voters are coming home to Republican candidates even ones who have, you know, who are, who were not the party's first choice or the party leadership's first choice um, as the election draws near. So I think a lot of Republicans 
who might have had reservations about Don Bolduc, for instance. Yeah. Um, now that the election is, what, five, six days away, um, they're putting those reservations aside. You know, he's gotten mm-hmm. support from folks like Chris Sununu, the state's uh, perfectly normal Republican governor, um, <laughs> to, uh, to, uh, to vote for him. Um, and, and so I think that means these, this race is a lot that's tighter yeah. than a lot of people thought it would be when Bolduc won the nomination. Well, that's for sure. My goodness, uh, Mitch McConnell kind of abandoned the state. He abandoned the race because he wanted your your perfectly normal governor, Chris Sununu, to run for this seat. Republicans had really turned away from it and said, well, you know, so much for flipping the Senate. But my goodness, a couple months makes a big difference here, Chris, doesn't it? It does. And I also think you have to look at that in the context of some of the other candidates you've got uh, in the country. You know, like when you've got uh, Herschel Walker down in Georgia, God knows what's going to happen in that race, but it's clearly not going to be a slam dunk for either party. Um, I think Republicans started looking around. Well, Bolduc was, you know, compared to, say, you know, your J.D. Vance's and your Herschel Walker's, a comparatively, um, you know, not mainstream exactly candidate, but looked mm-hmm. a little bit like a safer bet than some of those folks. When you consider uh, Maggie Hassan's tenure here, Chris, does she have a story to tell as an incumbent that's supposed to be a pretty powerful position to be in here as a U.S. senator? Don Bolda comes out of nowhere with no money uh, and is about to pull this off, apparently. What is she telling voters? Well, she's running hard on her records, her background, um, not just as, as senator and governor, but as the mother of a son with special needs, and that led her into politics in the first place. She's been doing the standard incumbent um, uh, tactic of talking about constituent service, what she's done for local businesses, what yeah. she's done for the state's veterans. Um, and, and, and this is pretty much in keeping with Hassan's style. You know, she is a very focused, very disciplined campaigner. She mm-hmm. has the message that she wants to hit in a given debate or a given speech or a given event, uh, and she hits it over and over and over again. And it's one of those things that usually works pretty well right up until the point that it doesn't. So I think the question Here we are. Um, is whether this is the year that, that it's just not enough, um, or does she pull this out? I mean, because, you know, 48, 47, um, that's, you know, when you're talking about polls, I mean, that's, um, you know, kind of a, a, a coin flip at this point. Right, yeah. um, so... Well, yeah, Chris, we'll I bet your classes days. are wild uh, lately. Chris Galdieri, I appreciate oh, yeah. you. Come back and see us soon. Professor of Politics at St. Anselm College in New Hampshire. Of course, the center of the political universe. Rick Davis, you know New Hampshire. They love John McCain up in New Hampshire. How did Don Baldick pull this off with local Republicans? Well, um, part of it was uh, he did what Donald, or that John McCain did. He did, you know, over 70 town halls and New Hampshireites love their town halls. We proved that to be a winning formula. And uh, he put himself out there in front. uh, And I'm sure he got grilled with questions. Uh, But uh, I guess his answers were enough to convince people that uh, they were going to give him a second look. And I think it's exactly what uh, you were just talking about. You know, Republicans had a lot of questions, uh, some Republicans about Bullduck and, and the fact that, you know, part of the establishment sort of came around and embraced him check that box and and you yep. see that now solidifying um it's a it's a real amazing thing because of course you know bulldog was the republican democrats thought they could beat the most and actually helped him get the nomination by putting money into his campaign yeah. and now it looks like he's <laughs> going to turn the tables on them well of course pulling off a lead in the polls is one thing can he actually pull off a win we'll ask Jeannie shanzano next as we continue with our signature panel on bloomberg sound on 
And we'll move to Rick's favorite state of Arizona, where Barack Obama touched down last night to talk about deniers the same time Joe Biden was talking about it in D.C. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. When you see numbers move this much, this fast, you have to wonder what's going on. Although it does track with the momentum we've been talking about, zeroing in today on Bloomberg Sound On, the state of New Hampshire, at least this part of the hour, with these numbers we were discussing from St. Anselm with the panel showing Republicans across the board in New Hampshire on the rise. Their poll standings on the rise, their favorabilities on the rise, while unfavorables for the Democrats also continue to rise. The one exception tends to be Representative Annie Custer, uh, who is leading her Republican opponent by eight points. But the, the Senator Maggie Hassan now trailing Don Baldock. We reassembled a panel with Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Uh, what does the pollster inside you tell you? Jeannie, at this point, when you see numbers change this much and so quickly, not unlike the white suburban women number we saw move in the Wall Street Journal poll, but on a state level, this is a surging Republican Party. It, it is. And, and unlike when you're talking about a subsample like white suburban women or any others, this is statewide. And so this does, I think, show that Republicans have taken a look. They may have been nervous about Baldock and some of these others and with Democrats supporting and pushing him through to the nomination. But they are, to Chris's point, seem to be returning home to a normal position. And I think that's what made the debate last night so important. There was still, by the St. Anselm poll, some undecideds. And the question was, did Maggie Hassan do enough to keep them with her, essentially, or were they just going to go back to the Republican? And I have to say, watching that debate last night, it was not a great performance by Maggie Hassan. Yeah. She seemed lawyerly, huh. scripted, methodical. She played into every one of Baldock's stereotypes of her as an insider establishment versus him as the outsider. It was a really, really difficult performance for her, and he really seemed to get more and more aggressive and have more fun as the night went on got under her skin and it was not a good ending for her at all she had the one good night good line about that you played at the at the top about his election denial story and tying him to the trump endorsement but besides that she was not answering questions and he kept calling her out on that and being an insider in washington right. so tough he for her last night uh, his performance rick is, is did, has he been learning on the trail it, it, he did seem to uh to have some control of the conversation and was disciplined on, hey, I'm an outsider. I'm not a politician. Yeah, I think that uh, playing the outsider card was an effective tool for him. Uh, he is an outsider. He's not a polished politician. He doesn't have all those kinds of spin moves that um, uh, Jeannie was just saying about Senator Hassan. Hmm. And and look, we got to remind ourselves, she was one of the most vulnerable Democrats going into That's this right. cycle, very unpopular in her own home state. She was in the category of anybody could beat her. Now we're actually seeing anybody could beat her. Uh, as you say, oh, elections still got to happen. 
but this is one that even Mitch McConnell got wrong, and he's not used to that you right? know admitting that uh, he he might have blinked when he shouldn't have. On to Arizona. This is the latest stop on the national tour by the former president, Barack Obama. These are events that Joe Biden might otherwise be holding, but this is the uh, the climate that we're in. Boy, he was really going after deniers last night. And as, look, we've discussed a lot of the candidates, a lot of the Republican candidates in Arizona are deniers, but the, you know, the governor, Carrie Lake, uh, candidates for attorney general and secretary of state, and he was going for it last Chris's night. Chris's opponent, another election denier, exaggerated his experience, made anti-Semitic comments. Adrian's opponent was at the cop was at the Capitol on January 6th. He was actually there. I mean, he might not have been the guy with the Viking helmet, but he was there. Has ties to far-right anti-government militia. Come on, people. Said it was perfectly fine for people to stand by ballot drop boxes carrying weapons. This is the guy, this is the Barack Obama we're seeing on the stump, this incredulous former president who doesn't seem to have uh, much to lose here at this point. But Jeannie, is he helping or hurting? What's the impact of this? He is having some fun out there, and it is it a rousing like rally that because we're not getting them from the president, we're getting them from the former president. You know, I think he's doing everything he can to drum up the base, and in an election that is looking like it's going to be very close, that may be very helpful. His message is strong, and he has been on point, and he underscored what Joe Biden was saying last night in a much more, um, you know, entertaining, if you will, stylistically probably appetizing way um, that election deniers are on the ballot. Mm-hmm. And democracy may not survive in Arizona if they elect this slate of Republican candidates. Well, you know Arizona as well as anyone when it comes to politics here, Rick. Who is What is the slice of the electorate in Arizona who's going to react to that and vote for a Democrat? Or is this a waste of time? You know, look, I mean, the, the, the county, Maricopa County, one of the largest in the country, um, uh, really controls most of the election outcomes uh, in the last, you know, two decades. Uh, and, and we've talked about them earlier in this show, you know, uh, suburban women are the swing within Maricopa County. And so, uh, will suburban women see Carrie Lake, Lake, uh, the Republican challenger and an election denier in the past, uh, as someone that they can park their vote on because of economic issues or because of some of these cultural issues, especially those that affect schools. Um, or even on the border issues. Uh, I do think Carrie Lake has made an effective use of talking about fentanyl, you know, coming through the border and affecting everybody's community. That mm-hmm. is a big deal in Arizona. Yep. Uh, and, and, and it's not just the Trump line on the border. It's, it's a little more nuanced. So mm-hmm. uh, she's going to win rural votes, uh, and, uh, and most of the city votes are going to go to Katie Hobbs, her opponent, and yep. these suburban women are going to make up the difference. And wow. that's how Joe Biden won in a decidedly red state last time. And and if Carrie Lake's going to win, she's going to need them to, to bring him home. Well, he was having some fun uh, with Carrie Lake last evening. I don't know if uh, if anybody, you know, I sit around and watch these speeches instead of having a life here. But uh, I, I didn't know about this. So, some people don't know this, but uh, apparently Carrie Lake actually interviewed me back in 2016 when I was president. How about, you know, she was she a was news a, anchor, She was right? a local news anchor. She was yeah. doing her job. I, I have to admit, I, uh, I, I don't have, you know, a, a 
clear memory of the interview. It's a little fuzzy. But I, I do know this. At the time, I don't remember thinking that she was the kind of person who would push debunked COVID remedies well. or promise to issue a declaration of invasion at our border or claim without any evidence that the 2020 election was stolen. But, of course, they weren't talking about Kerry Lake then. They were talking about Barack Obama. And I thought, my gosh, well, that's got to still be around, right? Thank God for the Internet. There it is. The Kerry Lake inside there in the White House. You know, they, they'll do this stuff where they have, like, local reporters day, or at least they used to back then. Do they still do that, Matt? The Biden? Yeah. And, you know, it's like the highlight of their career. <clears throat> of course it would be. You're invited to the White House. You get five minutes or less with the president. This is uh, Kerry Lake, Fox 10, Phoenix. If the election were tomorrow... It's a write-in ballot, and your vote decides it. And? Who who wins? Well, look, obviously I'm going to be voting for the Democrat. Uh, But if if you write in whoever you want, maybe somebody who's not even running, if you could choose... Oh, I I, I think we'll have a terrific Democratic nominee, and I'm confident uh, that they will be uh, a great president. And I'm going to be working as hard as I can, but right now... Uh, you know, it's up to the American people to decide. This is and, May of uh, 2016. I can't tell you my secret ballot. <laughs> you don't talk about who you vote for. Absolutely. Donald, but I, fill, I get, the, fill in the blank there. Donald Trump will make America. <laughs> I, I haven't thought too much about it uh, because I don't think Donald Trump's going to end up being president. Oh. And you still stand by that. Absolutely. Thank you so much Thank for your you. time. We appreciate Carrie it. Carrie Lake and Barack Obama. What do you guys think of that? And she's asking about make America great again. Maybe we should be paying more attention to these local interviews, Rick. Actually, I think that's an indication of why we shouldn't pay more attention okay, to these local mind. interviews. It was I mean, News it was Center 7, Matt. Interview. Did I have it wrong? I said Fox 10 or something like that. News Center 7, one-on-one. Jeannie, what did you learn from that? I learned, Joe Matthew, that last night you went and you listened to this speech. I love what a political animal you are. And then you actually, because I heard the speech, but then you actually went on and looked it up. And so you've done me proud, Joe Matthew. And yeah, and I've got to say that, you know, hearing Carrie Lake like that, I mean, he just underscores the hypocrisy of this race that she is running. And Hmm. she likely is going to have a very good shot of winning. And I think in part, we have to admit, Katie Hobbs is not very much like, uh, you know, we were just talking about in New Hampshire um, with the Senate candidate, Maggie Hassan. They are not going out on the stump. As Rick mentioned, you see Bolduck, 76 or so town halls, Carrie Lake all over Arizona, Katie Hobbs shying away from being out there and debating. And I think it's a big mistake. Yeah. Should Katie Hobbs, now that we're five days out here, Rick, should she have debated Carrie Lake despite all the denier business? Would this be a different race? You know, look, I mean, it may be worse, actually, for Katie Hobbs if she debated, yeah. but she still should have debated, right? She should give the people of Arizona a chance to compare and contrast like virtually every other candidate in America. What makes her special? None. Uh, so, yeah, she should have put herself out there. Maybe it would have made it worse. Maybe it would have made it better. But, like, to deny uh, voters the chance to see the two of them side by side just because she's not, quote, a great debater. Rick Davis, Jeannie Shansano, our signature panel. We'll be back with more tomorrow on the fastest hour in politics. If you showed up late, subscribe to the podcast. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, 
influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.